Would you turn with me once again to Exodus chapter 2? We'll continue today, Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. You'll remember that last week we read about uh, Moses' birth, which prefigures, points forward to the birth of Jesus, points forward to the redemption of Israel from the sea, and points forward to our own redemption. We read about how he was redeemed by Pharaoh's daughter on the banks of the Nile. Well, this week we're going to move forward about 40 years. A lot of time has passed. Now Moses is an adult, and he's beginning his preparation to be the the redeemer of Israel. He's beginning to to see his purpose and and God's call in his life as Israel's redeemer. So let's pray, and we'll turn to the text. Almighty Father, you give us your words of life, that we may know you, that we may believe you, and that ultimately that we may trust you. And so, Father, today as we come to your words, would you teach us trust? Would you press them deeply into our hearts? Would you soften our hearts by them? Make us receptive to your will. And show us your way. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you reveal your word to us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear God's word from Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold... Two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down or stayed by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands rather forever. One thing I'll, I'll mention that I, it was not originally my sermon. This is just an informative piece. Is Gershom, his name, um, is, it means foreigner, it means sojourner. And so that's why Moses, Moses names him that. But that's just an extra, a bonus piece of information for you. There is something of a trend, though, 
in evangelical Christianity over the past few years, you've probably heard of it, more and more people are becoming what, what they call exvangelicals. And there, there are all sorts of articles and books and, and, and things like resources to try to explain this phenomenon, try to answer the objections, to, to try to explain what's going on. And in a lot of ways, we, we act as if this is something new. But in fact, what's happening is that this is just plain old apostasy. It's the same way that people have left the faith for hundreds of years. From the very beginning, people have rejected Christ and turned away from him. Now, people claim all sorts of reasons for doing this. Today, what you'll hear from this, this group called Exvangelicals, you'll, you'll hear them claim that the church is abusive, that her theology doesn't contribute to human flourishing, that her views are too exclusive and too narrow. In the past, these people that turned away from the faith may have complained that Christianity wasn't compatible with modern science or that miracles are irrational. Even before that, others, and even today, leave the faith simply to avoid persecution. But at the root of all of this, at the root of all of our apostasy, at the root of all of our unbelief, at the root of all of our lack of faith, is sin. We are, by nature, sinners. Today's passage speaks to that. What does it look like to reject God? In what ways are our hearts prone to do that? And what does it look like to cling to faith? To cling to God, to, to trust in Him? So we're going to consider this in broadly two parts. First, we'll look at redemption rejected. We'll, we'll learn from the failures of Israel in rejecting Moses. And second, we'll consider redemption received, following after the way of the Midianites, the Gentile people who received Moses. So first, redemption rejected. Look at verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, once again, this is some of the same language that gets used when God goes out to look on his people. He's looking out on his people. He's seeing their afflictions. And so Moses looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, pay attention to these two questions. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? And do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed or sat in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, to a modern reader, if we take this out of context, and, and I hear this all the time, people refer to Moses as a murderer. And I, I grant that taken out of context, this passage looks really bad. In fact, you have Moses doing this thing where he looks to and fro. He's, he looks here and there, depending on what your translation says. And so from, from that perspective, this does look really bad. But I would argue that this is a misunderstanding of that passage. Moses is not committing murder. He's executing just authority. And I'll prove this from the New Testament in a moment, but keep in mind that he is a member of Pharaoh's royal family. He is a civil magistrate in the kingdom of Egypt. He has judicial authority by virtue of his sonship, 
By virtue of being the grandson of Pharaoh, he has judicial authority over the Egyptians. And so he has authority over this Egyptian. He is also appointed by God to be a judge and a prophet over Israel. And so he has judicial authority, legal authority over the Hebrew. This, this bears out in the New Testament. In Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26, it says this. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. If that's not clear enough, look at Acts 7, verses 23 and 24. It says, When he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And so the New Testament paints this episode where Moses goes out and he kills this Egyptian as a positive thing. When Moses kills the Egyptian, this is an act of redemption. He's saving the Hebrew from the impression that the Egyptians are placing on him. And so the dilemma for Moses it's not that he's done something unrighteous. Instead, his problem is that he has made a judgment in favor of Israel over against Egypt. That's why he's looking around to make sure no one saw what was happening. He's caught between two nations. He was raised in an Egyptian household, but he understands he's got Hebrew heritage. And when he walks out and he sees this fight going on between the Egyptian and the Hebrew... All of a sudden, he's confronted with this reality that he has to make a choice between the two. And what he does is that when the time comes, he sides with Israel. He claims them. But how will Israel respond? The answer is they respond with rejection. Now, we, we do have to read between the lines a little bit to understand what's happening here over the course of these, these two days. Moses is trying to quietly protect the people of Israel. Now, you, you sense a little bit of reluctance here, that he's not quite sure about what he's doing. But what is implied here is that the, the, the Hebrews, particularly the one that Moses had saved, had actually gone and reported to some authority that Moses had killed this Egyptian. And so that Hebrew who had been saved had rejected the very one who had offered him redemption. God had sent a redeemer but instead of receiving their redemption, the Israelites cursed it. And as a result, Moses is sent away, sent out of the people into another country. Now, of course, this, this whole episode points forward to another rejection. When Jesus arrived to redeem the Jews, they rejected him as well. When he was a child, he was fleeing from the king of the Jews, Herod, while Gentile kings, those from far off, came and visited him. They called him a blasphemer. They denied his authority as the son of God. And they ultimately were the ones who called for his crucifixion. The result of all of that is that Romans 11 reminds us that unbelieving Jews, those who did rejected him, were cut off from the covenant. And the Gentiles were grafted in. The old covenant was cast off, and the new covenant was brought in, and these people, God's new people, included Gentiles. He left the Jews, he left Jerusalem, and he went off into the whole world. 
Now, that should strike fear in your heart. Because how often do we respond to God in the way that the Hebrews responded to Moses? That's the natural inclination of our hearts. That's, that's the natural inclination of, of our flesh. So let's consider these two questions that the Hebrew asked Moses in verse 14. Because I think they illuminate our own sinful desires. First, he says, who made you a prince and a judge over us? And the answer, of course, is that God did. God made Moses an authority over Israel. And in our flesh, our response is always to question God's authority. We hear his clear commands, but instead of submitting to his commands, instead of submitting to his will, we rebel. He tells us to have no other gods, but we worship politicians, we worship celebrities. Worst of all, we worship ourselves. He tells us to make no graven images, but instead we flaunt our graven images, claiming that they're righteous. He tells us not to take his name in vain, but we invoke his blessing on all sorts of ungodly activities that we participate in. He tells us to honor the Sabbath, but instead we treat his day just like any other, failing to worship, failing to rest in the ways that he's called us to. That's just the first table of the law. I could go on. But the point is that our, our sinful nature is always rejecting, rebelling, turning away from God's commands. The second question the Hebrew asks is this. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? That's an accusation of wrongdoing. The Hebrew is implying that Moses has committed a crime, that he's not good, that he's not interested in the redemption, that he's just a bloodthirsty, angry man. And in our flesh, when we reject God's authority, we're also prone to accuse God of wrongdoing. When we reject his law, when we reject his goodness, we're claiming that he is not good. Jeremiah and Paul after him speak of the potter and the clay. God is sovereign. He creates us and he sustains us. But in our sin, we try to tell him that he's not doing it right. You're not redeeming me right. You're not saving me right. What I really need is for you to do these other things. It doesn't take much living to realize that not everything goes how we want it. We never have all the material wealth we want. We lose family and friends to conflicts, to death. The church is never quite run in the way we want it to be run. And so we're like little clay pots who turn and look back to the potter and say, why are you making me this way? That's not our right. It's not our right to look at the potter and tell him how we want our lives, our lives to go. He is good. And Paul tells us that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. But so often we don't trust that promise. We say, no, God, what you're actually doing is you're, you're hurting me, you're harming me. When in reality, he's working all things for our good. So the point is this. If God has the authority to redeem us, he also has the authority to give us the law, and he also has the authority to reject us if we turn away from it. So that's a terrifying thought, and especially considering the sinfulness of our human nature, our, our desire to constantly wander, to turn away from him. But there is hope. That brings us to our second head here. Redemption received. Israel rejected redemption, but Midian receives redemption. 
Look at verse 16. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. There's your redemption. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been born, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So Moses goes out to Midian. He, he's rejecting Israel. He's being cast out from Israel. He's, he's rejected there and he goes on to Midian. And he finds another people under oppression. He finds the family of this Midianite priest. The fact that Reuel's daughters, which by the way, Reuel will, will later be called Jethro. You're probably more familiar with that name. But the fact that Reuel's daughters are shepherding his flock probably indicates that he doesn't have any sons. And you have other shepherds who, recognizing the weakness there, that they can overpower these women, are going out and, and bullying them, taking advantage of them. And so the, what, what's probably happening is that every day, these women take the, the flock out to the well and they draw water. And these shepherds are standing back waiting for the women to draw water so they can come in and take it from them and have them do the work for them. It's a common occurrence because, and Reuel is actually surprised that they came back so early because they would normally have to wait for this whole process to, to be carried out. But on this day, when they go out, Moses is sitting by the well. Moses, who's called to be a redeemer, he finds these people under oppression and he fulfills his call as a redeemer, saving them from their oppressors. But unlike the Hebrews, unlike Israel, they respond positively. They receive his redemption. The Hebrews question Moses' authority. They accuse him of wrongdoing. But Reuel invites him into his home. Reuel responds with gratitude. And he doesn't just give Moses a meal. He gives Moses a home and a family. When Reuel saw that Moses was willing to save his daughters... He sought to be in communion with him. He wanted to be united to this man who was willing to redeem them. He wanted to share a house with Moses. And Moses, it says, was content to honor this desire. Once again, the actions of Moses point forward to Jesus. If you're familiar with the gospel stories, this probably sounds familiar to you. In John 4, Jesus flees Judea to get away from the Pharisees who are trying to kill him. And he ends up sitting by a well in Samaria, a land of foreigners. And there's this woman who comes out and meets him there. And she's coming at midday because she's trying to avoid the shame and the ridicule associated with her, her unrighteous life. So she comes out at midday. She meets Jesus there. And Jesus offers her Redemption. But where Moses drew up physical water, Moses drew up water from the well, Jesus offers the Samaritan woman spiritual water, living water, 
the water that will sustain her soul. And just as Reuel invited Moses to stay in his house, the Samaritans in this town go out to meet Jesus and invite him to stay in their town. And he does. He stays with them for a time. And John tells us that many more believed because of his word. And therein lies our hope. What, what Reuel does in Exodus, and what the Samaritans do in John, is for us a picture of faithful response. When they hear that a Redeemer is coming, instead of accusing him of wrongdoing, instead of questioning his authority, the question they ask is, where is he? Call him that he may eat with us. When redemption is offered, they receive it. Why? Because they understand their need for redemption. Israel didn't understand that. And it would take another 40 years for them to really understand the oppression they were under. They didn't understand their need for redemption, but the Samaritans and Reuel did. Reuel knows that without Moses, his daughters will continue to be afflicted. The Samaritans know that without Jesus, their sins will continue to weigh heavy upon them. There will still be a people cast out from Jerusalem. And so they invite him in, and they seek union with him. And they look for his presence. His presence. And so it is for us. When we place our trust in Jesus for our redemption, he takes up residence with us by his spirit. He forms his people into a new temple. And the spirit descends on them, descends on us, and fills us. This is what it looks like to receive redemption. But there's an open question at the end of this chapter. Look at verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and he heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So at the end of chapter 2, we're left with this question. Israel is given this opportunity. They've already rejected Moses' redemption once, but God promises to come to them again. He hears the cries of his people. He sees them. He remembers his covenant. And finally, it says God knew. These verses are a bookend by the way, on this section of Exodus. You'll remember that Exodus began with a king who did not know. He did not know Joseph. He did not know Joseph's people. Pharaoh also heard the groanings and the cries of the people of Israel. But Pharaoh only sought to press down the people more. But even when Pharaoh did not know, God knew. This is an act of God's mercy. And it shows us that even when we reject him, even when, even when we turn away from him, when we turn away his redemption, there is still hope. Yes, Israel rejected Moses, but a generation passes and the next generation will receive him. Because God's steadfast love and mercy endure forever. And even when we fail, he is faithful to his covenant. Even when we reject his redemption, he always comes back to us. He always turns back to us and offers us hope. In these two chapters, we've heard several stories of redemption. 
The midwives redeemed the babies by deceiving Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter's daughter redeemed Moses by bringing him into the king's house. Moses redeemed Reuel's daughter by putting away their oppressors. And all of these are little pictures of the way that God will redeem his people from Egypt. But there are also pictures of the way that God redeems us from our sin now. He redeems us through the seed of a woman, Satan's greatest enemy. He redeems us by inviting us into his house, into his presence, into his throne room to boldly make our requests known to him. He redeems us by defeating Satan on the cross, by defeating our oppressor, by putting him to shame. So the question for you today is this. Will you receive it? Will you receive the redemption that Jesus Christ offers to you? That's not just a question for unbelievers. That's a question for believers. We need to answer that question every single day. Will Jesus, will the redemption that Jesus offers, will I receive that redemption? God calls you by his word today to cling to his son by faith, to cling to his son's work, to the promise of redemption. Hope in him, hope in him today and every day, and you will be saved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.